I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today's reading is Exodus chapters 33 through 35. In chapter 33, we see that God takes the original Canaan entry plan off the table. Verse 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on him his ornaments. For the Lord had said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are a stiff-necked people, I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment, and consume thee, therefore now put off thine ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb. Well, the repercussions from the Hebrew uprising against God and Moses in Exodus chapter 32 continues right here. Remember back in Exodus chapter 23 when God explained how systematically the Hebrews would be able to move through Canaan and conquer it with the angel of the Lord going before them and God's hand guiding them? Well, that whole scenario of victory rested upon the conditions of Exodus chapter 23 verse 22 which says, But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak. So what has happened here? Well, it's obvious that they have not obeyed God. Subsequently, God retracts the offer that he specified in Exodus chapter 23. Now, we see in verse 3, it says, For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people. Well, nobody is happy about that stipulation. Without God's presence before them, I mean, who wants to dare make an attempt to move into Canaan? Moses, I mean, Moses, go do something about this. Now, let's take a note here that the wording is a little bit difficult to follow in this chapter in these verses that we just read. We see in this passage that the Exodus 23 promise is recited down through the middle of verse 3. But then the retraction of that promise begins in the second half of verse 3. We do see, however, that Moses pleads with God in the balance of chapter 33 to reinstate the Exodus 23 plan. So the plan is subsequently fully reinstated in Moses' meeting with God in Exodus chapter 34 when we get there, verses 10 and 11. So Moses now and God meet in the tabernacle that's, well, not really the tabernacle. You'll see what I mean in just a moment. Verse 7, And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that every one which sought the Lord went out into the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out into the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle 
the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped, every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Well, in this passage, Moses has a face-to-face meeting with God, albeit through the veil of the tent that Moses had erected for his meetings with God. Now, this tent is not the tabernacle, which is going to be built a little bit later. But verse 7 indicates that this was not an unusual procedure for seeking God's presence. For it says, everyone which sought the Lord, not just Moses, but everybody who sought the Lord went to this place. This tent was erected far off from the camp, we're told, and was the designated meeting place between God and Moses at this point in time, while Moses is negotiating with God concerning Israel's rebellion in Exodus chapter 32. Israel's gotten off track with that whole golden calf ordeal. And Moses is looking for some answers on how to get back into God's favor. Moses gets right to the point. He says, without God's presence among them, they don't want to go into Canaan. Well, it's a good thing this one man, Moses, still has favor with God. Look at God's reply to Moses in verse 17. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. One man's faithfulness to God bails out some two million or so people who had sorely disappointed God with their faithlessness. Just one more thing. Moses wants a glimpse of God. After some negotiations on how this might be done without resulting in Moses' death, arrangements are made in verses 18 to 23. 
This prearranged event takes place in chapter 34, beginning with verse 6. We'll get to that in a few moments. Incidentally, verse 11 might seem confusing in light of the remaining verses of this chapter. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Moses actually talks to the cloudy pillar, we're told, verse 9. The reference of face-to-face addresses the difference between talking to God in heaven as opposed to having a conversation with God standing directly before Moses, though in the form of a cloudy pillar. Actually, another distinction is made regarding Moses' communication with God in Numbers chapter 12, verses 6-8, through when God says, And he said, Hear now my words, if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold." Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? As prophets of God go, that definitely sets Moses apart as unique, a point which is also emphasized at Moses' death when we get over to Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10, and it says, And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face the distinguishing characteristic of Moses from all other prophets. In chapter 34, beginning with verse 1, we see that Moses makes some new tablets. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew these two tables of stone likened to the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning into Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount." And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before the mount. And he hewed two tables of stone, like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning, and went up into Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took at his hand the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud, and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him, and proclaimed... The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. In this passage, God instructs Moses to make the tablets upon which God is going to be writing the law. You'll recall that Moses had cast the first set to the ground and broke them upon his early return from the mountain, in Exodus chapter 32, verse 19. This time Moses provides the blank stone tablets, and God will write on them. Then he heads up to the mountain alone. There he has the meeting which had been negotiated in Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 to 23. In verse 9, we see Moses again asking for God's favor and presence among the Israelites as they go in to inhabit Canaan. 
God's reply to Moses begins in verse 10. Perhaps we should point out here that God had made the first tablets. Those are the ones that Moses broke. But God will write upon these new tablets, which will be made by Moses himself. In chapter 34, beginning with verse 10, we see 40 days for Moses without food or drink. Verse 10. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord. For it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god." Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods. And one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrificer. And thou take of their daughters to thy sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a-whoring after their gods. Thou shalt make thee no molten gods. The feast of unleavened bread thou shalt keep. Seven days shalt thou eat unleavened bread, as I commanded thee, in the time of the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib thou camest out from Egypt. All that openeth the matrix is mine, and every firstling among thy cattle, whether ox or sheep that is male. But the firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou redeem him not, then shalt thou break his neck. All the firstborn of thy sons thou shalt redeem. And none shall appear before me empty." Six days thou shalt work, but on the seventh day thou shalt rest. In earing time and in harvest thou shalt rest. And thou shalt observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Thrice in the year shall all your men children appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before thee, and enlarge thy borders, neither shall any man desire thy land, when thou shalt go up to appear before the Lord thy God thrice in the year. Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, neither shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left until the morning. The first of the first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel. And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water, and he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So we see in this passage that Moses was there on Mount Sinai receiving the word from God. No food, no drink, forty days. God gives Moses exhaustive instructions and replaces the words on the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments. God restates to Moses the provisions of the laws which would govern Israel well beyond just the Ten Commandments. God renews His covenant with Israel regarding their promised land. Now let's take a look at those provisions. Verse 10 says, God will do marvels before the Israelites. Verse 11, God will drive out the current inhabitants of Canaan. In verses 12 through 16, he says, Israel is to make no covenants with the Canaanites, nor entertain any worship of their gods. 
In verse 17, he says, there's to be no idolatry in Canaan. In verse 18, Israel is to keep the feast of unleavened bread. In verses 19 and 20, the firstborn in the land will belong to God. We see in Numbers chapter 3 that the Levites were substituted later on for the firstborn. In verse 21, we see that they are to rest on the Sabbath day. In verse 22, we see that Israel is to keep two additional festivals, the Feast of Firstfruits, known as Pentecost or Feast of Harvest, and the Festival of Ingathering, also known as Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths. In verse 23, we see that Israel will observe three annual pilgrimages each year for the three festivals listed as we talked about above. And uh, these are restated actually in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, when it says, Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, in the feast of unleavened bread, and in the feast of weeks, and in the feast of tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. In verse 24, we see that the Passover meal is to be free of leaven. In verse 26, we see that the first fruits are to be offered presumably on the occasion of these three annual pilgrimages, which correspond to the agricultural year of Israel. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is the beginning of the barley harvest, the Feast of Pentecost, end of the early summer wheat harvest. The Feast of Tabernacles is the beginning of the new agricultural year. I've written an article under Topics, uh, that you'll find on BibleTrack.org on the Jewish festivals, and there you can find all the details. Verse 26 ends with an interesting stipulation. It says, Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. While this food preparation restriction does not seem to fit with the other provisions found in this section, it's also stipulated in Exodus 23:19, and again in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 21. These provisions form the basis of God's covenant with Israel. Notice verse 27, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel. Now we have a bonus in chapter 34, verses 29 to 35. It's the shining face of Moses. Verse 29, and it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of the testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh unto him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him. And Moses talked with them. And afterward all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And till Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took off the veil until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, and Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. Whoa, a glowing face. That's right, Moses' face glowed after being in the presence of God and receiving the law. Now remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. He says, for the Jews require a sign. Well, if you're looking for a sign, this ought to do it. Paul would later use this face shine of Moses 
to make a very important point about the law in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In verses 7 through 11 of that chapter, he would point out there that despite the unmistakable glory of the law, with the shiny face of Moses to prove it, it would one day be done away, Paul's words, upon the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So how noticeable was this glow on the face of Moses? Well, it was so unsettling to Aaron and the rest of the people that Moses had to put a veil on his face. Must have been pretty bright, I'd say. Now that brings us to chapter 35, and we find the Sabbath regulations once again. Verse 1, And Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said unto them, These are the words which the Lord hath commanded that ye should do them. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be to you an holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work therein shall be put to death. Ye shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath day. So Moses, just down from the mountain with a shiny face, had their attention as he spoke to Israel on this very occasion. Here's the restatement of the Sabbath regulations once again. And in really strong words, it's a death sentence to work on the Sabbath day with a particular notation to kindling a fire. In other words, just don't do it. I just can't stop myself from saying it again. Don't try to convince me that you keep the Ten Commandments while you completely ignore the provisions of commandment number four, which is Sabbath keeping. Jesus, in fact, fulfilled the law. He said so in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. It has been done away, which is very clearly stated in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 11. It's been nailed to the cross. The law has been nailed to the cross according to Colossians 2, 14, which says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. How can something so clearly stated in the scripture get so mixed up by believers today? Believers are neither made righteous by obeying the law of Moses, nor are they kept righteous after salvation by doing so. The scripture is very clear on this point. But if you're still a little bit confused, then look at the article I've written under the topic section of BibleTrack.org on the Ten Commandments. Incidentally, notice the fire on the Sabbath provision in verse 3. It's a prohibition there. Observant Jews today still adhere closely to this provision. While one may let a fire continue to burn on the Sabbath that was previously lit, nothing can be done to maintain the fire throughout the entire Sabbath. This is an integral part of the law of Moses, just as binding as any other provision of the law. In chapter 35, beginning with verse 4, we find the contributions and construction of the tabernacle. Verse 4, And Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it, an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass, and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair, and ram skins dyed red, and badger skins and shittim wood, and oil for the light, and spices for anointing oil and for sweet incense, and onyx stones, and stones to be set for the ephod, and for the breastplate. And every wise-hearted among you shall come, and make all that the Lord had commanded. 
the tabernacle, his tent, and his covering, his tosses, and his boards, his bars, his pillars, and his sockets, the ark and the staves thereof, with the mercy seat and the veil of the covering, the table and his staves and all his vessels, and the showbread, the candlestick also for the light, and his furniture and his lamps with the oil for the light, and the incense altar and his staves and the anointing oil and the sweet incense and the hanging for the door at the entering in of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with his brazen grate, his staves and all his vessels, the laver and his foot, the hangings of the court, his pillars and their sockets and the hangings for the door of the court, the pins of the tabernacle and the pins of the court and their cords, the clothes of service, to do service in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister in the priest office. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, every one whose heart stirred him up, and every one whom his spirit made willing. And they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation, and for all his service, and for the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted, and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets and all jewels of gold, and every man that had offered an offering of gold unto the Lord, and every man with whom was found blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and red skins of ram and badger skins brought them. Every one that did an offering of silver and brass brought the Lord's offering, and every man with whom was found shittim wood for any work of the service brought it. And all the women that were wise-hearted did spin with their hands, and brought that which they had spun, both of blue and of purple and of scarlet and of fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred them up in wisdom spun goat's hair. And the rulers brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate, and spice and oil for the light, and for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a willing offering to the Lord, every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. And Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, the Lord hath called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he hath filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, and understanding, and in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, and to devise curious works, to work in gold, and in silver, and in brass, and the cutting of stones, and to set them, and in carving of wood, to make any manner of cunning work. And he hath put in his heart that he may teach both he and Ahaliab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. Them hath he filled with wisdom of heart to work all manner of work of the engraver, of the cunning workman, and of the embroiderer, in blue and in purple and scarlet and in fine linen, and of the weaver, even of them that do any work, and of those that devise cunning work. Well, in this passage, Moses concludes his presentation with a call for contributions to build the tabernacle. Notice in verses 21 and 22, it says, And they came, every one whose heart stirred him up, and every one whom his spirit made willing. And they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation, and for all his service, and for all the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted, and brought bracelets, and earrings, and rings, and tablets, all jewels of gold. And every man that offered, offered an offering of gold unto the Lord." Now note the emphasis here in the contribution for the building of the tabernacle, that these contributions were to be from a willing heart. Well, let the work begin. And Hur's grandson, Bezalel, 
is the man who will lead up the project with the special unction seen in verse 31, which says, And he hath filled him with the Spirit of God. And he'll be assisted by another man named Ahaliab. Incidentally, a very small tax, one-fifth of an ounce of silver, had been placed on every Hebrew male back in Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 16. Whether they chose to bring a contribution here or not, every Hebrew male had at least a small stake in the tabernacle from the contribution that was really a tax back in Exodus chapter 30. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton. 